page 83, responding to a koan. If you want to convey a great teaching, it has to flow from your own breast to cover heaven and earth, Yentao. In our time, we've gone from trying to answer a koan in order to pass it, to responding to a koan in order to resolve it. That seemingly small shift underlies most of what these essays have to say about koan practice. Resolving a koan means identifying the doubt or question or wondering it raises in you. And then living that question until the insight is contained, I mean, insight contained within it comes clear. Having a question, not knowing something is a good thing, not to be rushed in its resolution. Something is put to rest and something is revealed. This can come in a sudden flash, whole and complete, or it can come gradually like the dawn. In the end, it will feel as though you and the Cohen have come to share an understanding. Mm. We've but what do you guys think of this distinction? Mm -hmm between resolving and passing. You know, in Rinzai Zen, you would go through this, this bunch of a hundred koans or so, and you would have to pass each one before you would go to the next. And this would be the practice. So it would take you years to do this. But resolving is a beautiful idea. So she's not Rinzai, but but still works with Koan in the I like the um, sentiment that having a question is a good thing not to be rushed. It's pretty neat. It was pretty liberating. It never works to rush, does it? Well, sometimes you have to rush. But oh. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't say that in your job, can it? Okay. I think next is Emily. Uh, we've spoken about the beginning of your response to a con as what happens in meditation and the rest of your life as you keep company with it. Eventually, if you're doing formal koan study, you'll articulate your response to someone else. This is one of the places working with a teacher makes a difference, particularly in the beginning. Koan responses come as a surprise, and it's helpful to have someone to check that surprise with. You might've taken up koan study because you lost a bet, but most people are hoping for experiences that are by their nature, out of the ordinary. It makes sense to be in conversation with someone familiar with those experiences. You might have taken up koan study because you lost a bet. <laughs> Is this humor? I think so. I think it for some strange reason, as opposed to you're curious about them. Uh -huh. They seem intimidating, um, probably to people who are new to it, because I think our minds want to have an answer to the koan. And the answer actually doesn't come from uh, a conceptual place, intellectual place. <clears throat> people seem to either be on one side or the other, like love-hate about koans. You know, I don't usually not in the middle. And and I think the people who hate koans are those that that want cert certainty. Want yeah, answers. They, yeah, they want to figure it out or I want to figure it out. And then I'm afraid I'm going to be wrong, you know, <laughs> so it seems intimidating. But um, we've done koan study before and i figured out that it's actually just sort of an embodied response so you know it's like neck down 
So are you next, Gail? Yeah. In individual koan study, if you have a response as soon as you receive a koan, go for it. Sometimes that will be complete. And often you'll want to spend more time with the koan anyway, even if you're pretty sure you'll end up in the same place. Again, it matters what happens while you keep company with the koan, even if you feel as though you've already resolved it. The power of group study is in offering a response and seeing where others take it, which almost always reveals something unexpected and suddenly indispensable. Uh, if your response feels clever, if it strikes you as a good idea, it's not yet intimate. Helen Watts used to tell a story about someone he knew who was studying in Japan. As he sat outside waiting for work in the room, a frog landed in front of him. Aha, he thought, and slipped the unlucky frog into his sleeve. When his turn came and the teacher asked him about his koan, <laughs> he placed the frog in front of the teacher with a flourish. No, 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 the teacher replied, way too intellectual. That's a great story. It is because it tells me that you can even get intellectual about the idea of it being an embodied response. Oh, some people feel that their response to a koan should mimic the kinds of things that some of the ancestors did, shouting or hitting or uttering nomic phrases. So let's just stipulate that the ancients pretty much covered that territory as well as it could possibly be covered, <coughs> and you're not required to repeat it. If the only way to, for you to respond to a koan is to shout at the top of your lungs, then by all means do so. But if there's a hair's breadth separation between you and that shout, skip it and wait for something genuine and unique to you to emerge. So um, a quick little comment about this. Um, I practice briefly with Sansanian the um, Korean Zen master. And he worked with koans. And <laughs> this, uh, this so baffled me. Um, and when you had your interview with him, he would always tell you the way he wanted you to answer the koan. And then he made you answer in this way. And it was always the same answer. And I always felt like, like, like cheated. Like I wasn't given the opportunity to just sort of hang with the koan. That, um, and to arrive at some sort of something, some way of, holding it or knowing it better myself. But I don't know if that's uh, typical in other schools. Uh, I don't think so, uh, not yeah, at all. It, it really, it, it put me off Zen for quite a while. But I, I think it was his brand of Zen, not... But. Uh, would you repeatedly go back to him? Well, you would have uh, again and again for the, with the same koan. Yeah. 
So you had to embody the answer that you were supposed to have. But he would tell you how to how he would tell you how to respond, and then while you were sitting with him, you would have to just repeat that. It was always the same. Was it the same answer for different koans? I can't remember if I was always working with the same koan, but all I remember is always the response, and it was always what he said, and it was so unsatisfying. I just figured there was something wrong with me that uh, that that's the way koan study worked. I mean, I was this was many many years ago. What can you give an example, Nandia? Um, the so answer was always to slam your fist on the floor. Oh, it was wordless. I'm sure that, that you know that he had something worthwhile in mind. <laughs> I, I never graduated to knowing what that was, but anyway, I just. <laughs> To say that because uh, here they're talking uh, about the response mimicking something that the ancestors did, and and he was really quite. Uh, I mean, some of his his teachings, he was really a very wise master. But in this, I didn't get it. There's a book that tells all the answers, and <laughs> supposedly it doesn't help at all. No, right. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so, you know, in that vein, there was something. So rather than searching for an answer, he would tell you the answer and then you would have to embody it before you would pass, it would seem. Yeah. I kind of yeah, like except that. For, it just feels like. Um, for the way that I learn, it's more about sort of arriving somewhere like I would much have preferred for him to sort of point the direction than to tell me the destination. Sure, sure. We had an art history teacher who would hand out to his students all the questions and all the answers for the <laughs> exam. Huh. He, he was so discouraged that his students didn't do very well, so he wanted to. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> Did he reverse? <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. So that was me reading J K L M Malin. I think there is a lot of noise in here. Uh, I will pass. Okay. Um when that happens is that where we are yes when that happens don't second guess there are two misconceptions about the koans that the tradition isn't large or weird enough to include you in your genuine responses and that you are not large or weird enough to get the tradition it's pretty likely that neither is true if your response is genuine bring it if you're not sure whether you've got something, but it won't let you go, bring it. If you're confused or frustrated, bring that. Trust your first response, what you know before you think you don't know. Don't worry about being wrong or foolish. Take a risk. Is it Trouty now? I do not know. Yes. Thank you. Oh, is it a good con response? No, I think sometimes. I see, on the top. Sometimes con practice can raise reactions like resistance to being put on the spot, the desire to please, or the need to be right. See if you can make exploring such reactions a part of the process rather than an imp impediment to it, as Marcus Aurelius said in his meditations. 
What stands in the way becomes the way. Yeah, I like that line. If you stay with the koans a while, you'll find that things appear, reappear and a response similar to one you've given before will probably work within a new koan. It's fine to say that this is another instance of that, linking them. How is that linkage interesting? Expanding your understanding of the theme. It's also a chance to riff a little, to explore what makes this koan unique, even if it's not the main point of the koan. Um, it's been brought to my attention that the two most unsettling words spoken during work in the room are show me but this is the very heart of things rather than explaining the koan or describing your reaction to it you're showing what the koan looks like when it's coming out of your breast to fill the room even more than understanding your response i want to experience it right here with you when that happens you can be said to have resolved the koan A good koan response is both complete. Where are we? Ah, is both complete and provisional. Nothing missing. Always open to evolving. Some koans will keep living inside you, revealing more as time and life go on. This combination of holding things lightly and holding them with commitment is what we call abiding nowhere and deeply. Malin, I have a question for you. Do you think responding to a painting would be the same or could be the same as responding to a koan? I was about to ask a similar question about a poem. Or a poem, yes. Yeah, I was thinking at this very moment if a koan could be compared with a poem. I think it does. You know, rather than explaining to kind of embody it. Yes, and every time you go back in another time, probably your answer or your respond, response will be different. I think so. Okay, uh, stuck and exhausted. A frustrated student begged Guishan, just tell me. Guishan replied, if I told you, you would resent me later. The, the way I heard this story is there was like a star student and a guy came to town, a teacher, to test him. And he asked him, who were you before you were born? That was, which is a koan. And um, the guy looks through all his books and can't find the answer. So he goes away for 20 years and then he comes back. And then they have this dialogue. And he says, why didn't you just tell me? And, and so maybe we'll get to that. Boy. Wow. Uh... Okay, well, with any luck, a part of koan practice you won't be able to avoid is getting well and thoroughly stuck. You'll be in good company because it happens to everyone. Harada Dayun, the Japanese founder of a lineage, once took 72 attempts to resolve <laughs> a particular koan. He counted. One koan describes being stuck in dramatic terms that don't seem so outlandish once you've been there. You've come to an impasse and lost your way. If you keep going forward, you'll fall into the hands of the angry gods. 
if you retreat, you'll slip into the hell of greedy ghosts. If you stay where you are, you'll drown in stagnant water. What do you do? If you feel like that sometimes, frustrated, frustrating and hopeless and with no visible way out. Oh, sorry. It can feel like that sometimes, frustrating and hopeless and with no visible way out. But being stuck is entirely part of the process, a way to learn something. There's no other way to learn. The painful states we feel when stuck come from the failure of our usual strategies. From the koan's perspective, it's good to be in such a state because we're about to put down the tools not fitted to the task and discover the ones <coughs> that are. Milano. Okay, I will read this paragraph. Usually how stuck you are is in direct proportion to the importance of the thing the koan has to show you. When you finally resolve the koan, you will really have it. It'll be yours in a way you won't forget. If you're willing to endure this a few times at the beginning, you're likely to discover a confidence that will carry you a long way with the cons and perhaps with your life as well. You can hear a hundred teachers books tell you a hundred times that you already have what you need for awakening with you, within you. But unstick yourself, unstick yourself in one con and you'll actually know that for yourself. Sometimes when we're stuck, we have to exhaust whatever we come up with that's based on what we already know. In English, exhaust has a feeling of defeat about it. There's nothing left to do, as in exhausting all possibilities. You're going to move away from something that isn't working. In Chinese, the same character means both exhaust and complete. So there's a sense of how to come all the way through something and you're moving into the open space on the other side of it. Oh, sorry. All that time feeling stuck is actually time spent reaching the end of what you know how to do. <clears throat> and if you can get there, you might learn something new. And some people don't like that, do they, to be stuck? Do you remember, Kim, um, Peg telling us about the koan moo that she was given? Yeah. Probably by Joko Beck. This reminds me of that. She just struggled with that so much. And finally, yeah. Well, you should tell the whole story. Well, the way I remember it is, is that she just really struggled with it and kept coming back and forth, you know, to Joko with, and she, finally she reached a dead end and just really didn't know. So she came to the a meeting with her teacher and said, I just, I'm so frustrated. I just really don't know at all. And the teacher said that she'd really, that's where it, <laughs> she was solving the koan <laughs> right there, <laughs> that that was it. <laughs> or something like that. That's kind of the way I heard it. What about you, Kim? Well, yeah, that she had given up. Yes, she said she was so frustrated and she was really angry and upset about it and came with all that to the meeting. And, you know, her teacher basically said, yeah, that's a, you, now you're on the right track <laughs> or you, you've solved it. <laughs> so it's the surrender involved in making yeah. the effort and then yeah and also you know i think what is that koan it's it's like what is moo you know like what it, the answer to all the questions that the teacher had was moo 
And so she was trying to figure out what Moo was when Moo was just what was happening now <laughs> when you hear Moo. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. We're, we're going to get into this in the next paragraph. Oh, good. Who's reading? Am I? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Yes. Does a dog have food in nature? Go on. Okay. At first, for many people, the Quan in which a student asks Zhao Zhu if a dog has Buddha nature, and Zhao Zhu replies, no, Mu, <laughs> seems to be about Buddha nature in non-human beings. If you exhaust that inquiry, you'll clarify what you think about the subject, but you might notice that it, it isn't, I'm sorry, that isn't completely satisfying because it's still a perhaps deepened and refined opinion that doesn't fundamentally change your usual ways of understanding. At that point, the koan hopes you turn your attention to that no. How do you hear the no when you have exhausted philosophy when a no isn't a rational answer to a ra rational question about Buddha nature, but the resounding sound of the universe in the space that opens up when rational inquiry has been exhausted? have a question uh if you're with a teacher studying cons can you the thing is that you can change the answer each time you go to, with a teacher you would yes mm. yeah you, uh and you would build yeah 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 you would and they only let you uh say a few words and then they ring a bell and you have to leave and supposedly, the one person that I did this with, um, she told Peg that that she knew when someone walked through the door, whether they got it or not. They didn't have to open their mouths. Fresh breeze. Suddenly I realized for myself, the fresh breeze that rises up when the great burden is laid down, Fayan. Fayan expresses the great matter so simply and clearly, giving voice to the yearning to lay down the cares, the swords and shields of a lifetime and to feel on our own skin the un burden wind that flows from one end of the universe to the other. After realizing it for himself, he spent the rest of his life teaching that this can happen to anyone. Bayan was a, a young monk on pilgrimage with a group of companions who got snowed in at a monastery they were visiting. Okay, that's a bit literal, but we'll take note of his being stuck in the silence of a snowbound temple. The abbot of the monastery, known as Dizang, asked him what being on a pilgrimage is like. And Fayan said, I don't know. There's a time when things have fallen away to such an extent that you look inside and don't find enough to fashion even an answer to a simple question. I wonder if this was the case with Fayan. Perhaps that's what Daizang was seeing when he said, not knowing is most intimate. Fayan knew a lot of things. He'd had a good education in the Confucian classics. And as a monk, he studied the vin Vinaya, the extensive and detailed rules of monastic conduct, in addition to Chan. Perhaps Daizang was saying that this new condition of uncertainty was closer to what Fayan was seeking. In any case, Fayan had an opening at these words. 
which, judging from the next exchange, seems to have pushed him a little further into emptiness. When the snow cleared, Fayan and his companions got ready to leave. Dizong accompanied them to the gate where he pointed to a rock and said, You often say that things are nothing but mine. Would you say that the rock is inside your mind or outside it? Fayan replied, Inside. Dizon asked, how can you haul around a rock like that on pilgrimage? Bayan could see there was something he didn't understand yet, so he dropped his pilgrim's bundle at Dizon's feet and asked to stay. Lots of burdens being put down here. The boulder of doctrine lodged in his head the baggage that symbolized his status as a seeker, which he quietly and completely lay at Dazon's feet. <coughs> I'd never heard this part of the story. After about a month of talking every day with Dazon, who responded to everything he said with, it's not like that, Fayan finally admitted that he had run out of ideas. He'd exhausted everything he knew. Daisang spoke into that newly opened space. In the way, everything is real. At that, at that, Fayan experienced himself as real all the way through. And the wind blowing from before the beginning of time and the rock he thought existed only in his mind. In the way, everything is real. I don't know why, but I got chills this last paragraph. Mm. It's beautiful. I like it. Yeah. It's like it is real and it's not real. Both. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, I just got chills. It's inside and it's outside. Well, you really get chills, don't you, when you when you get something? I don't know. No. <laughs> you get something. Yeah, it felt like I understood something, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> okay, who just read? Milan. Milan. Oh, okay. I think it's me. Yes. The question of answers. The bright road that the ancestors knew is right in front of you in everything you see and hear. Luangwu. You can read that sentence so many ways. The bright road that the ancestors knew is right in front of you. The bright road that the ancestors knew is right in front of you. I don't know. Sorry. All right. I'll keep going. Traditionally, each koan has had a specific answer. Teachers have had manuals of the answers accepted by their school, and students were sent back to their cushions with their koan as many times as it took to realize those traditional answers. Often there wasn't much other conversation during interviews. The teacher's notes I received contained answers for some koans going back four lineage generations and occasionally further than that. It was moving to come to know the distinctive voices of my recent ancestors. And I considered this text one of the most precious gifts I passed on to the people I asked to be teachers. Many people continue to practice this way, but it was becoming clear to some of us that these answers could no longer automatically be the last word. As the Kwan say, 
students were bringing in responses that included, but were not limited to the traditional answers. Often the traditional point wasn't the only powerful thing or even the most powerful thing about the koan for them. As people were more interested in taking the koans deeply into their lives than in working through a curriculum, it was clear that the traditional answers illuminated an essential but not unlimited portion of the koan field. Can I say, For example, oh. oh, go ahead, go ahead. Do you know, I was reading a story about um, beluga whales and how um, a, there's a certain population of them that's collapsing. And right. Well, I don't know what that word is. Beluga? No, no. Collapsing? Oh, yeah. Their they're, uh, numbers are dwindling in a certain oh. part of the world. Okay. And they think it's related to... Um, the elders carry the knowledge and the experience. And uh, if you don't have enough of them, then a population has the possibility of collapsing. Hmm. Um, and yet they're not sure if that's the reason for the decline because the world is changing rather rapidly, much more rapidly than when the population began. So what's important is to bring new perspective. Um, so experience is not the whole story. Uh, anyway, I thought that was kind of, I yeah. was thinking about that story as I was thinking about that paragraph. Sorry, go ahead. Thank you. I like that because it just shows that it seems to indicate that you really, there's nowhere to really stand as far as a firm answer yeah. to anything because everything is affecting Changing. everything else yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's, I kind of, I like that. It also to me really, speaks to that we're all necessary because the elders are the knowledge holders, but uh, maybe the younger in the population have different perspectives and different approaches and um, it's not one or the other, it's all necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. Who's reading? That's Cody. For example, one of the miscellaneous koans is Save a Ghost. The traditional answer is an elaboration on Boo in the sense of becoming the ghost yourself. As it was explained to me, you save the ghost by including, excuse me, I'm sorry. I was even shown the particular Japanese ghost that my ancestors had presented. Then students spontaneously began bringing in their own ghosts, the unacknowledged and this disinherited parts of themselves by which they were haunted. Suddenly things got big. The principle is the same. You save something by welcoming, welcome, welcoming it home from exile, but it's a different experience when what you're saving isn't a generic idea of ghosts, but your own particular painful fragments of psyche. The question of who was saving whom in these reunions was inevitable when the ghost came so close. Then people began to acknowledge our collective ghosts. Those are societies harmed by marginal, marginalizing them. 
When Save a Ghost came up in a private koan seminar with some of the elders in my lineage, a couple of us younger teachers presented these newer responses. They were dismissed out of hand as being too personal. The other younger teacher and I glanced at each other, and it was immediately clear that neither of us could imagine returning to boo as the hoped-for response to this koan. With some koans, particularly those involving women, the traditional answers were limited by bias. I remember one koan in particular whose answer hinged on whether you thought a man had bested a woman in a sort of dharma contest. The received answer picked a winner, but I thought the koan its, itself didn't. It seemed to be describing a meeting of equals because that was self-evident when we looked at it straight on, the received answer was retired. There are a couple of koans whose traditional answer had been lost which meant that students were free to respond as they wished. People's eyes would light up when they heard that. And those conversations were often especially lively. Uh, I'm gonna leave a little early. Uh, uh, so, Kim. Okay. Yeah, okay. See you next week. Yeah, sorry guys, a little tired. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Incidents like these made openings in the beautiful wall of tradition, and the openings let a fresh breeze in. There's a wonky koan about a teacher who, who's fanning himself, and a student challenges him, saying that if the nature of wind is eternal, and it reaches everywhere, why does he need to fan himself? The teacher replies that the student doesn't understand the meaning of reaching everywhere, and he goes on fanning himself. The point being that the wind reaches everywhere because we pick up our fans and help. I think Trotty likes this one. No, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't dislike it. Just, <laughs> I just had to laugh. <laughs> don't ask me why, because I don't know. <laughs> this was funny, or maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Strenuous day. Um, Melen, do you want to read? Yeah. An individual can study its how to have the traditional understanding of koan in addition to whatever experiences and understandings arise from your own relationship with the koan. The first koans in the curriculum are intended to reveal a very specific thing, and it's more than worth waiting for. With a later koan like Save a Ghost, the essential traditional point is the realization of your identity with the ghost, your willingness to embrace it rather than hold it off. We could say that the window in the source for this realization is safe. What does it mean to save, to be saved? An exploration of the particular ghost in need of saving is begun at the window of ghost, which will be different for each person. In my experience, the more personal the ghost, the deeper the realization of saving. Can you go back for just a second? Okay, thank you. Three bodies, 
a student asked Zhongshan, among the three bodies of the Buddha, what body doesn't degenerate into levels? Zhongshan said, I am always intimate with it. Hmm. You've probably noticed that we're taking, talking a fair amount about what not to do in response to a koan. That's because the only universal part of the process is clearing the way for a genuine response to emerge. Don't look for formulas. Don't mimic anyone else. Don't settle. Don't repeat your successes. Don't be afraid. Read a lot to become fluent in the tradition. Then let what you've learned sift into the dark, trusting that you'll have what you need when you meet a koan. Now let me say a little bit about what you'd want to see in the koan response, but only if you promise to forget it as soon as you finish reading. <laughs> there is a beautiful Mahayana thought that everything has three bodies. The first is the nirmayakaya, the body of form in a world of cause and effect. The body that likes eating peaches, has lots of opinions, and get bruised in a car accidents, in car accidents. Then there is dharmakaya, the body of vastness, of the Tao. It's sometimes called the true body, but that makes it sound as if the other bodies aren't true. And they are. It's the aspect of everything that is eternal and then perfectly as it is. Between these two is the Sambhoga Kaya, sometimes called the dream body because it's that liminal space where things have emerged from the vastness but aren't yet fixed in form. The hand of the dream, of the dream body can hear and taste the world as well as touch it. It's where dreams, myth, bodhisattvas, meditation visions, and inspirations for art are found. The three are simultaneous, each an aspect of the whole. A rock is made of the elements of this planet, solid and warm in the sun and slowly eroding. Its memory is long, fragrant with the shared dreaming of lichen and rain. And it has always been there, radiating the light of the universe. A full koan response will include three bodies, though sometimes one will step into the foreground while the other two remain in the background. A full response is rooted in your life and leads you to an epiphany you can apply in your whole in your life, body of form. Comes into your imagination through the field you share with what the Chinese call the 10,000 things. And imagining not from, from you alone yet, not completely yours, dream body and it's touched by emptiness so that you clearly see the unmoving eternal nature of even the simplest things body of vastness in your response you'll be speaking in the voices of all three bodies simultaneously like a chord for example if you're keeping company with the koan save a ghost mentioned in the question of answers this page <coughs> you might consider your own ghost body of form other not personal ghosts you've encountered dream body and the way in which ghosts need no saving at all bodies of the vastness how can a koan belong to you belong to all beings and belong to no one all at the same time. Your response might be a single word or gesture, but one that arises unified 
from all three bodies. Your hand in its gesture is like the wing of the white heron in the midst, invisible at first and then sweeping slowly upward, lifting the mist, lifting the world. Please don't try to fit your koan responses into a threefold scheme or interrogate them to see if they measure up. But in the beginning, as your response to a koan unfolds, perhaps you can explore whether your life is present, whether the influences of your relationships with other beings and states of consciousness are present, and whether the clarity that comes from the largest perspective is present too. If your response doesn't seem all there yet, you can check whether one of the bodies hasn't revealed itself. When these three ways of looking at a koan become natural, you can stop thinking about any of this altogether. I'm confused as to what's become of the reading order. <laughs> Kim yeah. and I switched. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, that was Emily, right? Mm -hmm. And now, yeah. Ga now Gail. Um, are we on the new page? Or where are we? New page. New page. We need new page. Okay. Oh, here's Cohen. Capping phrases. A capping phrase is a quote that summarizes, comments on, or provides another instance of a koan. Kenneth Kraft describes capping phrases as a cross between a koan and a footnote. For some schools, finding a capping phrase is part of the study of each koan. For others, it's optional or done for only part of the curriculum. Traditionally, they've come from poetry, song, popular culture, or Chan and Zen literature. The most extensive collection of traditional capping phrases is Victor Sojin Hori's Zen Sand. Smaller collections include Sioku, Shiramatsu, a Zen forest, and a Zen harvest. These resources brim with the imagistic beauty and wit of the koan tradition. I think I might be next. In our house style, capping phrases can be from any culture or time, ancient, contemporary, east, west, north, south, or only in our, your imagination, <coughs> meaning something you've written yourself. They can also be expressed in other media, such as drawing, movement, music, or photography. We also include epiphanies from our own lives, like the one about the chair that follows as a form of capping phrase. After you've kept company with cons a while, you'll notice that you're commenting on the cons and they are commenting back. As quotes from cons and commentaries come spontaneously to mind as keeping phrases to particular moments in your life. Oh, that's what that means. And are you speaking of the con or the moment? A coin lost in the river is found in the river. <laughs> you might remember human saying, or this isn't so hard. As the innkeeper said about the practice Hakuin gave her. Koan, humans. Every day is a good day. Capping phrase. Heart mind clouded. Heart mind unclouded. Rising and falling. All the same body. Koan. It's like a donkey watching a well. 
that's most of it, but not the whole thing. What would you say? It's like a well watching a donkey. <laughs> Capping phrase. What do they call a flower that flies from bird to bird? Yeah. As I was sitting the other day, I realized that not only was the chair holding me up, but I was holding up the chair. Practices of the night, sleeping in the land of dreams, talking about the dream, let's float our dream on the river of eternity, Ryokan. Because Koan study is a way of life and life includes different states of consciousness, Koan meditation becomes something we are doing all the time in different forms, including when we go to sleep. Traditional Mahayana practices of the night encompass a number of different states of consciousness. The hypnagogic states on the way into and out of sleep, dreaming sleep, dreamless sleep, lucid dreaming, and the natural light of sleep. It's a big and subtle subject. So here we'll just touch on a few dreaming practices. There are a number of koans that include dreams. The tradition says that there comes a point in your practice when your dreams start telling the truth. They can be encouraging, deepening our understanding, revealing new things, and even bestowing initiations, diagnostic, showing us where we are and what we need to attend to, prophetic, opening a window to the future or clarifying the present, or healing, doctoring us in our sleep. In the Mahayana, dreams in the early part of the night are more likely to be personal day residue, or karmic dreams we might explore for meanings relating to our psyche and lives. In the middle of the night, around the hour of the wolf, we're permeable to other influences abroad in the dark and can have disturbing dreams. We can also be visited by dream body figures like ancestors who might bring blessings. Over time, as our dreaming is less influenced by karmic traces, Dreams of natural clarity might start appearing, often around dawn. These are unusual and transpersonal, with meaning sometimes for ourselves and sometimes for the community. They feel as though they've been found or given to us. They might offer advice, predictions, teachings, or insights for ourselves and others. I am... Um... I'm thinking um, we've probably all had dreams that seem like they're saying something important or giving us a pointer of some sort. Mm -hmm. uh, so I kind of like uh, hearing this. I, I, I wanted to share one. I, I had a dream some years ago and there was a lot of drama in it and violence and um, a woman being abducted and then a crowd of people and this mounted policeman came up and I was on the periphery watching it all kind of horrified. I tried to save a girl, but it hadn't worked. And there's all this chaos and the mounted policeman and I are standing next to each other looking at this chaos. And suddenly I looked up at him and I said, this isn't real, is it? It's a dream, isn't it? And he turned and looked at me and then looked very confused. And he said, you find out. <laughs> and then I woke up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking that this mounted policeman should have the, I should know the answer, you know, should confirm what I'm saying. 
And all he did was look, suddenly his certainty disappeared. He looked very confused and looked at me and said, no, you find out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay. All right. Dreams respond to attention. So you can set the intention to remember your dreams as you go to sleep or ask your dreams to speak to a particular question. After a while, some people are able to fall asleep meditating on their koan, and when they wake up, it's still with them. The same is true with reciting a mantra like the one in the Heart Sutra, Gate Gate, Paragate, Parasamgate, Bodhisvaha. As you recall your dreams, check to see if they throw light on your koan. To help remember your dreams, wake up naturally without an alarm clock. If you can, keep your eyes closed, don't move, and let your mind stay quiet. Let the dream come to you, or put out delicate feelers to coax it back. (coughs) If you can't remember a whole dream, notice what you're feeling as you wake up and see if that makes you back into it. Write down what you remember as soon as you can. Do you shouldn't we do go ahead? Shouldn't we do that from week to week? Well, if you want, I think it's <laughs> always helpful. My parents for 10 years, my mom was really into psychoanalysis and for 10 years, every morning, they would share their dreams and she wrote them all down and discussed them. She was a big believer in that. That was a a morning thing they did every day. Wow. I I found that the dreams that, that seem really important, just stick with me. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't remember all the dreams, but there are some dreams that seem more real almost than waking life. You know, they really stick. Mm-hmm. I had a dream the other day that someone was, was going to kill me. And then I kind of looked at him and then he started laughing and says, oh, I'm not really going to kill you. And I still haven't figured it out and who that person is and what what's that about. Yeah, but you know, it's stuck with you, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had a couple of dreams that are uh, not more than a couple, really. But, you know, the ones that really stick with me are the ones that uh, um, interest me. So there's a um, there's a book there's plenty of books about lucid dreaming, which are um, writing down your dreams is the path to coming to an understanding of what your unconscious is thinking about, and it's a way of sort of um, sort of uniting the unconscious with the conscious. So. There is some, a lot of people say there's value to writing your dreams down because it makes you more aware of what you're, what's going on in the back of your head, basically. I love what you just said, Emily, you're, what your unconscious is thinking about. Who's reading now? Milan. We're still talking. Kim seems to have an urge to bound forward. No, it's okay. Just as you can bring your meditation into your dreams, you can bring your dreams into your your meditation, spending time with them as you go a koan. You can look at cons like the ones in this book as if you've just discovered an old dream journal you'd forgotten about. And the cons are 
your descriptions of dreams, of dream fragments. Try to get inside the cons to amplify the images as you could in a dream. Dreams that relate to your koan study are welcome in work in the room. We incorporate practices of the night into some of our retreats, taking a few minutes each morning for participants to offer dream haiku as opposed to dream epic poems without anyone's comment or analysis. It's quite moving to hear what's going on under the earth as we sit together and to trace the emergence of shared images and themes. Some participants get up in the middle of the night to sit together in the hall to bring what's happening in their practices of the night right into meditation in the deep of the dark. There is a difference between dream interpretation whose focus is self-knowledge and the practices of the night, which are another way of transforming our sense of self and our sense of the self in the world. The night practices help dissolve our distinctions between waking and sleeping, conscious and unconscious, personal and transpersonal. They help us discover instead an awareness that is the continuity underneath different states of consciousness, much as koan meditation does. So the nighttime practices have daylight equivalents, like asking throughout the day, am I awake? Am I dreaming? How do I know? What's real? <laughs> you find out. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is a good place to stop. Yeah. Yeah.